You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Now that I have a little more time, let me take you back into that giant situation. Because they had, first of all, there were so many missed tackles by the Rams. They had uh, the Giants player down. They had him tackled. He just got up, shook off the tackle, and ran the distance. Great, great job by him. Give the Giants, you know, touchdown. So they got a chance to win. There's a, they kicked the field, extra point. There's a penalty. So they line up to kick the extra point. There's a penalty. So now they go for two because they're obviously closer. And Tyrod Taylor has Saquon Barkley wide open. Wide open. And misses him. And so that was the two-point conversion that failed. So it's 26-25 Rams. But the Giants have just gotten the ball back. Okay? So, uh, once again, Giant defense does the job. But now there's holding on the uh, holding on the first place. So, now that ball is going to be holding on uh, Darnell Holmes. So, that ball is going to be moved back. So, once again, all the Giants need is a field goal. All right? They need a touchdown. All they need is a field goal. So and they have no timeouts, but they got a minute eight left. So we'll see uh how this turns out. One eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Vinny's in Staten Island. Vinny, you are next on the drive. Hi, how are you? Good morning, Vinny. How are you? All right. Uh we talked about this a while ago about the Jets defense. I mean, first off, they just need a whole new coaching staff, and that includes Ulbrich. Robert Salah's was had one winning season with the 49ers out of four years. He was 4-12, 6-10, 6-10, and 13-3. and had one winning season. His defense, they got, the Jets have great defensive players, but have a horrible scheme and a horrible philosophy. They don't blitz enough, and they, they just don't get enough pressure on the quarterback with their front floor. Their defense is, it, it's, statistically, they're not that good. They're only good in one category, which is pass defense. They're sixth. They're like 20th in sacks, uh, almost 30th in run defense. They're, they're, they're not a very good defense. They need, they need to blitz more, and they need to stop playing this soft zone. The soft zone is killing them. That's why they're giving up these long third downs, because they just everybody, everybody knows their defense. They find the seams in the zone. I mean, for the Jets to be good, they, just, they need a whole new coaching staff, because Salah's message is lost. Nobody's listening to his nonsense anymore. He's become too much of a used car salesman, and it just you can't just hear his nonsense week after week after week. They need a real – he's not an NFL head coach. Everybody says Zach Wilson's not an NFL quarterback. Well, Salah's not an NFL head coach. How about that? Have a nice day. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, several things. First of all, um, you're right, Salah, but Salah wasn't the head coach when he was in Frisco. He was the defensive coordinator. Uh, number two, I, I mean, hold, let me – Hold my thought a second. I mean, how the Rams just allow Tyrod Taylor to run, what, 30 yards is just unbelievable. <laughs> I can't, I, it's unbelievable. But listen, if you're a Giant fan, you love it. Uh, so we'll see what, what happens there. Uh, but nevertheless, um, they're all coming back, Vinny. <laughs> all of them are coming back. They're all coming back. So that's not changing. Uh, they think. They love to hang their hat on the fact that they don't have to blitz a lot. They put a lot of, of uh, they put a lot of responsibility to their front four to try to put pressure on the quarterback to get to the quarterback without blitzing. They blitz a fair amount, but they don't blitz a lot. They they believe and they have confidence in DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner in their secondary that they will be able to. Uh, stay with the receivers and shut them down. I agree with you that sometimes the scheme is flawed. I agree with you that there are times that they do need to pressure the passer more. But And and their big issue is once Woods went down, they have not been able to do anything against the run. Woods was excellent for them against the run. Uh, they have had issues with the run game for a couple of seasons. Okay. When Woods, before Woods went down, they were better, but they still need some, you know, they need some work there. So there's no question about that. They have to address the run. And uh, just, the, just the philosophy for me, defensively, Vinny, is, 
okay, I need to be in the position where this team, Giants missed a 54-yard field goal with 30 seconds left. So it's now 26-25, Rams, they'll have the ball, and they'll be able to run out the clock. Um, for me, the, the, the fact that they just don't make the proper adjustments is major. I agree with you about the soft, jo- soft zone. Sometimes I do. They need to mix it up a little better. Ulbrich, listen, Ulbrich has done a decent job. I wish he was a bit more aggressive. I know I've spoken with some people, you know, former players who look at that and look at this situation and wish that he was a bit more aggressive. But, you know, that's the game plan that they come up with, you know, working for the game. So, once again, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Everything they do, everything that was done this season has got to be re-examined. It's got to be re-examined. Everything they do, all three phases, have to be re-examined, retooled, and, and redone. Because there's a lot of things that did not go well for this team this year. A lot. And some of it the little things, and some of it were big things. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's what you have to do. You would have thought that during the <clears throat> bye week, that's when you normally self-scout. <clears throat> that's when you, the offense looks at the defense, the defense looks at the offense, and they say, hey, look, we're running this a lot. Let's go away from that. We're doing this. Let's make some adjustments here. Let's do some of that. Now, for them, the bye week was a little later. But nevertheless, you watch video every week. You watch video all the time. You know what's going on. You see it. You know it. And they've got to do a better job. Everything, scouting, selection, process, injuries, everything, everything that team has done has got to be the process on how they make decisions or whatnot has got to be reevaluated because it just hasn't worked. Hasn't worked. Richardson Manhattan. What's up, Richard? Football point. Before I get to my football point, did you read the post today? Uh, Serby interviewed uh, Bob Costas. Yeah, I did see it. Costas must be drinking too much eggnog. They asked him what are the two <laughs> best NBA teams he's ever seen. Did you mm-hmm. see his answer? I did not. I did not. I haven't seen Magic's that. Magic's Lakers and Bird's Celtics. Wow. First wow. of all, the greatest team I've ever seen, <laughs> the most arrogant team I've ever seen in any sport, and the most obnoxious fans I've ever seen are Bill Russell's Boston Celtics. Those, mm-hmm. those teams were unbeatable. I'll never forget Kuzi'd get the ball out to Sam Jones, he'd pull up, and when he shot the ball, the fans in Boston started cheering into a crescenzo, and once the ball left his head, and then when he went in, when the ball went into his banker, they went wild. I mean, they were so obnoxious. Mm-hmm. They were hated. I've never seen a team more hated. Everybody in New York hated the Celtics. I never found one New Yorker that liked the Celtics. The only thing I will say, Richard, I'll let you finish. The only thing I will say in Costa's defense is maybe he interpreted as while he was covering the NBA or while he was working. So maybe that would be that would experiment. Wait a second, Larry. Okay, I'm not letting you off the hook now. Okay. You're gonna take Magic's Lakers over Michael's Bulls? Uh I wouldn't, but maybe he does. Okay. I mean I wouldn't. (laughs) <laughs> he was unbeatable, Michael. You know, <laughs> I mean, come I on. You can't do worse than that. I, I don't like Dayball going for the two points. There's too much time left. See, the problem with that is you don't get it. Now you're putting your team in mm-hmm. the eight ball. I like going for the two when there's the last play of the game. Like yesterday. I like what Detroit did. Mm-hmm. But the guy was a jerk after the penalty yeah. because he said, I'm going to show. I think, is that Larry? Do you think that was the first time in NFL history a guy went for two with the seven-yard line? I mean, that's stupid. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. the ball was I, I wouldn't the, have done it. I, I would have. I would have nobody would have done that. Yeah, I, I don't I understand why he did it. Yeah. That was crazy, yeah. Larry. Crazy. But it worked. No, it should have worked, Richard. Well, you know, should have uh, worked. He 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 put his team behind the eight ball, and that, that to me it wasn't the right move. But see, but he, he, like here's what I'll say. Two. Here's where you and I will agree, Richard. 
once it didn't work, I would not have gone back to it again. Yeah, correct. That's I would have kicked the, I would have kicked like the extra point and let's you a go. Message. Go back, get your tie, yes. and then you go back and settle. Hey, yes. Larry, let me give you a good memory. New Year's Eve, okay? okay go ahead. New Year's Eve, 72. Mm-hmm. I'm 17 years old. I go down with my friend. We go down to Times Square. Now, first, we stop off at Tad Steaks. Remember Tad Steaks on I do. 42nd? With the steaks in the window. They, for $2, you got a nice steak with a mm-hmm. baked potato, yep. a salad, and all the onion bread you can eat with the, salt, with the, uh, you know, the gravy and all. Larry, they were innovators, you know, because they put the grill right in the window. In the window. So as you walk by, you flame smell broil. It. Yeah, yeah, flame broil. That was it, Tad's <laughs> steak. Right. So we stopped at Tad's. Then we mm-hmm. go down to the movies. Now, right. this was in the beginning of the black exploitation movies. I'll never forget the movie. Great movie. Mr. T, Mr. T, Trouble Man. Do you remember that, Rabbit Hooks? Yes, I do remember. This was a little bit, I know around the same time as Superfly. I, I, I remember hearing, I never saw it, but I remember oh, hearing it. Oh, it was a great movie, great. Robert Hooks was great. I think he was a detective. Oh, he was great. It was a great movie. It had a great influence on me. And then we went over to Times Square. Larry, it was so much fun in those days. Mm. You walked around, you hung out. It was like a party. It really There were no restrictions. I mean, in those days... They didn't even cover the manhole covers. You remember they started doing that after 9-11? They started, uh, you know, mm. taping down the manhole covers. They yeah, were worried about yeah. blow-ups from underneath. Sure, but this sure. was in the uh, – man, Larry, New York in the 70s. and over there, It was a lot of fun, especially Times Square. Not like it was now. you got to go down there like a sardine. And, Larry, yeah. of course, the greatest NFL game ever, ever, okay. ever was on New Year's Eve 67, the Ice Bowl. Ice bowl mm-hmm. game when Bart Starr snuck the ball over. Lombardi mm-hmm. went for it, and nobody called Lombardi a gambler. Nobody said, Lombardi, a riverboat this, or you're making a regressor. He was just a plain, great football coach. He knew you don't go for the field goal there. You go for the win. And, yeah. uh, Larry, let me just do my Ray Scott imitation of the call. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, Ray Scott is calling. Start. Here's how he says it. Star. Touchdown. That was it. That was the whole call. Larry, always a pleasure. Thank you, Larry. All right, Richard. Thanks for the memories, my friend. We'll take more of your calls next on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. It's The Drive on 98.7 ESPN. We get to the calls in a second. One here from the Giant fans leaving MetLife. Tough loss. Tough loss, but your team played well. Want to hear from you at 1-800-919-3776. Quick scoreboard for you since the 1 o'clock games are just about done. We start with that Giants game. Giants had the opportunity to win it on a couple of occasions. A missed two-point conversion, a bad pass from Tyrod Taylor to Saquon Barkley, a wide-open Saquon Barkley, and then a a missed field goal. That would have given them the win. Giants lose 26-25 to the Rams. Tyrod Taylor, 319 yards passing, one touchdown and one pick. A couple of clinchers today. The Baltimore Ravens have clinched the number one seed in the AFC and they will have home field advantage and a first round bye after their 56-19 win over the Miami Dolphins. Lamar Jackson, 321 yards passing and five touchdowns also clinching in the nfc it was the san francisco 49ers with their 27 10 win over the washington commanders brock purdy two touchdowns 230 yards passing that win combined with a loss by the eagles to the cardinals 35 31 kyler murray three touchdowns 232 yards passing and ran for some big yardage so that combination gives the 49ers the number one seed in the NFC, a first-round bye and home field advantage. Other 1 o'clock finals, we have the Bills over the Patriots, 27-21. to We have the, uh, elsewhere, we have the Bears over the Falcons, 37-17. And the Colts beat the Raiders, 23-20. It was the Saints with a 23-13 lead over the Buccaneers. Both of them are 8-8 atop the NFC South. It's going to be interesting out there to figure out how they figure that out. It is Jaguars shut out the Panthers 26-0, Texans 26-3 over the Titans. And, of course, in um, the 4 o'clock games we've got going on right now, just one underway. 
And that is no score with the Seahawks and Pittsburgh Steelers in Seattle. Back to the phones we go at 1-800-919-3776. Mitch is in East Windsor. Mitch, you're next on the drive. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Mitch, to you and yours. That was some game by the Giants. I mean, Falk is a good uh, running back. Mm -hmm. But he had those two catches. They really should have gone for the tie. I mean, the the game last night should have showed you. Can't be too aggressive. I mean, the the season was was over. But you should have sent the game to overtime. You just got to be conservative. Most but you know time. what, Mitch, there will be some, and I, I respect what you're saying. Just hang with me a second. There will be some who are saying, listen, you're 5-10. and 10. Go for the win. What have you got to lose? You don't have to play conservative. This will be a nice win to get. Go for it. And really, it's the execution that hurts you, Mitch. The, the decision wasn't the thing that cost you because Barkley was wide open. All you have to do, see, if Tyrod Taylor throws it instead of guiding it, you got the two-point conversion. You got the win. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought maybe he should have just had run it in. But um, he's a pretty good uh, backup quarterback, so you got yeah. to have him. I, I just hope that you get one of those good quarterbacks next year. Thanks well, for the call. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Mitch. Thanks for the phone call. I don't know where they're going to draft. We'll, we'll see how the rest of the league goes today and where they're going to end up. But uh, I don't know. They'll, they'll be able to get a quarterback, but I don't know if that's what they're going to do. You know, they've got some other needs. So it's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do. Uh, with the Giants when they go forth because they could use another offensive lineman too. Mike is in Rockland. What's up, Mike? Hey, I want a quick question for you, say. Mm-hmm. Giant game kind of epitomized it. How bad has been the extra points in the NFL this year? It feels <laughs> like there have been more missed this year, and obviously three today had to be an all-time bad. But how how bad is it in the NFL this year? How many kickers have missed them? It feels like they're pushing the – the record, it feels like. Maybe yeah, I'm wrong. they might be. Thanks, Mike. They might be. It's been a weird year uh, as far as that's concerned. And it might be some of the reason why teams have just decided to go for two-point conversions in some situations, you know, because they've had so many missed field goals and situations of that nature. Um, this was really this was really crazy for the Giants. And, you know, we, we spoke about injuries on this show earlier, right? And we've talked a lot about quarterbacks and offensive line injuries and whatnot. How about field goal kicking injuries? I mean, the Giants lost. I mean, their guy has been really, aside from maybe one game this year where he was struggling, I mean, Gano has been, like, outstanding. Okay? So he's a guy that is usually Mr. Automatic. So you don't have him, and you have to go to get some other field goal kickers, and they're just not as reliable, not as good. It changes what you do. Okay, it changes your strategy. It changes your confidence. It changes what you, what you, the decisions that you make. It just does. But once again, if you make that two-point conversion, you're not in this situation. It was a couple of missed opportunities for the Giants today that cost them that game. Had a couple of bad penalties that cost you drives, put you out of position. But you fought back. You overcame it. You had you had the opportunity. You had that game won. And that would have been a bad loss for the Rams. Yeah, we hear the, well, they go from West Coast to the East Coast. They got the early game. Yeah, I hear that. I understand what you're saying. But in this case, you can't let the Giants hang around. And for them to give up, and that defense, that Rams defense, they allowed the Giants to get into that deep position because to have a chance to kick the field goal to win because they gave up a ton of yardage to Tyrod Taylor running up there. Running, he ran right up the middle. I guess the defense was like, well, don't let him get out of bounds. And they spread the field wide. They left the middle of the field open. Tyrod Taylor took off and he was, I mean, he was in field goal range. And then on a couple of occasions, what they did in trying to run the ball, they actually lost yardage. And I don't know if that would have made a difference because it was short and wide left. But, you know, they had opportunities to win that game. That's a tough loss for the Giants. When we return, we'll talk about the Giants game and some other things that happened in the National Football League with Jay Bromley. He'll join us next. It's The Drive on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty. On 98.7 ESPN.
About the National Football League, we bring in my good friend Jay Bromley, former NFL defensive lineman here with the New York Football Giants and a couple of other teams. Jay, happy holidays. How are you, my friend? Happy holidays, Larry. I'm doing well, man. Great to be here. Good to hear, good to hear your voice, my friend. Just give me – I know you had your eyes on that Giants game today. Give me your thought process as a defensive player to the opportunities that you gave your offense today couple of turnovers, uh, gave them a chance to get the ball back and drive for a game-winning field goal. Just give me your thoughts about this giant defense today and how they've played over the past couple of weeks and what's been the change with them? Uh, I think they're just encouraged, right? I mean, they, they obviously see what's going on on the other side of the ball um, and realize the carousel at quarterback right now and, and probably don't have much expectation of, you know, what they're going to get game to game from that position in the offense. So they're really just taking it upon themselves with the guys they have on that defensive line, the secondary, to really just come out there and try to just put the offense in as good a position as possible. If you get two or three turnovers, your chances of winning the game are like between 70 and 90%. Right? So I think that's what their focal point is. And like you said, putting two turnovers, two interceptions, putting in good position for the offense. All you want is a chance at the end of the game to, you know, hit a field goal and win the game or something, right? That's all you can ask for, especially from a stagnant offense like the Giants have been. So I think they're, they're putting up their best shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you seen from Kayvon uh, Thibodeau this season? It just seems as though as the season has gone on, Jay, he, he seems more comfortable or maybe they're running some more things in the scheme for him, but he seems to be making really a, a mark defensively. I think it's just him maturing, right? You watch him over the course of the games, um, obviously last year, and then coming into this year, and you just see more comfort, right? Finally, his you know happy space on the outside of that edge, and I'm um, really probably just settling into the the pace of the game at this level and the tackles and their different sets. I think when you see a young guy with his talent ability, he was drafted that high for a reason. Um, sometimes it just takes time for them to get a feel and kind of come into their own. You, I think we're witnessing that. Jay Bromley is my guest. Jay, I want to get your thoughts about some team, some teams and, and things going on around the league. And there's a couple of games today that, that stick in my mind. First, it's that uh, Philadelphia Eagles game with uh, the Cardinals. And this is a game, look, the Eagles are trying to, you know, get back to the Super Bowl. They're trying to get have as good a record as possible. This time of the season, one regular season game left after today. How do you, from from a we're trying to get into the mind of a football player. So that's why I'm asking you this. How do you get yourself in the position where you lose to a team like the Cardinals with all due respect to Kyler Murray, you understand what he brings to the table. You understand his ability to scramble and make plays with his legs. You do, you understand that you game plan for that, but I'm just saying for you to lose that game to a team that's got what three, four wins coming into today. And previously in the season, you lost to a Jet team that was struggling, that was under 500. But today, how, how does that happen, Jay? Is that a situation where, you know, they just play better than you that day? Is it a situation where you're not prepared? What goes on mentally for a team that's playoff bound to, to lose to a team that's got nothing to, to play for? Well, I think there's obviously two sides of the table, right? There's the side of the, you know, the Eagles who – like you said, they've been kind of on a slump, right? Not playing their best football. I think out of the mouths of their own players, right? And it's not being a click on all cylinders, offense helping our defense and defense helping our offense and special teams filling the gap in between. Um, I see all these things as, you know, something to look at for the Eagles. I think everybody's just trying to do more than their job at the end of the day. Uh, the, the goal of a football team is to do your job. So when you don't do your job, bad things happen. And from the Cardinals' perspective, what do they got to lose? Nothing. So those are dangerous teams to play. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Super Bowl is to come in to give you a loss today, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the, they'll have opportunity to maybe figure it out. Like we know very well with the Giants, it's not always about, you know, being hot in the beginning. It's about being hot at the right time. Mm. So if they can figure out, let these losses teach them lessons, then they can get hot at the right time, potentially, you know, cause some havoc in the playoffs. Jay, what are you seeing from this Baltimore Ravens team this year? I mean, look, we know what they we've always known what they could do offensively with with uh, what Lamar Jackson brings to the table and his abilities. 
And defensively, they always have a standard, right? They, they their, their identity is physical, hard-nosed defense. They love to hit. They love to move fast. They love to play that physical defense. But this year, everything seems to be coming together. What is it from this team when you look at them? First of all, look at them from the offensive side as a defender trying to, you know, defend them. And then take me through what they're doing defensively. Jay, you there? Oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that, Larry. Okay. Uh, I was sitting there talking on mute for a second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I was I was just going in on how dynamic, um, you know, Lamar Jackson has been, right? The leading mm-hmm. candidate for MVP, if you're looking anywhere, other than Dak Prescott, Prescott, of course. Um, five touchdowns on the day and just really just carving things up. His identity as a passer, his ability to pass the ball is showing up more and more through the stretch. Their ability to run the ball uh, is one of the best in the league as well. So, and when you accompany all of that with, you know, their defense traveling like it always does, that 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 purple just drapes offenses. In Miami, they put up what seventy points early in the season. They they ran into a brick wall today with the people that they have on that defense. So I really feel like uh, Baltimore right now is really hitting on all cylinders. I don't really see anybody really slowing them down. They've beaten really the two two of the top five to eight teams in the league, right, in the past couple mm-hmm. weeks. Mm-hmm. So I really think they're excited about what they're doing. So, Jay, let's, let's stick with Miami. How how should we look at them? How, are they are they for real? I mean, you know, they, they seem to, once again, this is another above 500 team that they don't play well against. Uh, we know what they can do offensively with Tyreek Hill. No Jalen Waddle today, but Tyreek Hill is an unbelievable receiver. Uh how how should we look at this Miami team? I think they I think they're relatively young. I mean, obviously getting bit by the injury bug doesn't help you with any mm-hmm. of your key players. But I think uh, what happens is it's a it's a uh, you know a league where people catch on pretty fast, right? No matter how dynamic you think your offense is, there's there's a counter to it. And there's a way that they're going to share film, they're going to watch film all these defenses, and they're going to figure out how to stop you. Especially when guys might start slowing down because of injuries, little things that hinder them, right? So all these things, teams should be better on defense later in the season because there's so much tape to watch on the tendencies of teams to know exactly what they're going to do. So uh, I think Miami's caught that bug, uh, lack of better term. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I think with the people that they have on that team, healthy, with the way they run the ball, they'll figure out ways to win, and that's coaching too throughout the course of the year. Jay, when we get to the postseason, what is it that teams have to adjust to doing to know that they to understand, okay, we're at a different level. The playoffs are totally different. How does that mindset change as you prepare to go into the playoffs? How does that what do you have to do physically? What do you have to do mentally to take your game up a notch to understand, okay, we're playing this is not we don't we don't get a, a gimme. This is not a team that's under five hundred. We're playing a team that is equal, if not better, to us. How does that change your mindset and preparation? Like you said, you're going into a situation where everybody can beat you. Um, and it really goes down to you respecting your adversary. As far as a player, man, you're at the end of the year, everybody's banged up to some extent. And football is 100% uh, you know, hurt. You may not be injured, meaning you're out the game, but for sure you're hurt. So uh, getting, staying in the weight room, right, staying strong, um, staying in the training room, uh, flexibility purposes, all these things are going to be crucial. Anybody that's really you know, been back to the playoffs over and over again, we're always, you know, key in on that health thing. And then from there, it's really about just exit. It's really about just cleaning up your X's and O's. The dynamic things are from your dynamic players. That's going to happen, and you're going to count on those things. But you need to, you know, not over-penalize yourself, not hurt yourself, you know, special teams, right? And really start to go back to the drawing board of how you tackle and how you finish plays. Because it's going to come down to a couple plays in the second quarter, a couple plays in the fourth quarter that determine, the, you know, the overall end of that game. So you're telling me really, Jay, it, it really comes back to you mentally being prepared, physically as prepared as you can be, but it's about going back to basics, right? It's about the fundamentals because those are the, the little things are what can kill you in the postseason. Of course. Everybody knows who's coming, right? <laughs> this, this ain't no uh, blind date. <laughs> Every team knows the team that's coming, and they watch them all year. Okay, and they know who their best players are. They know what they like to run for their best players. They know about the environment that they're walking in, right? It's just, you know, if you're on the East Coast, it's just a lot more colder, 
right? So you anticipate the games to, uh, you know, kind of play in that favor, especially as, you know, as inclement weather sets in. So it's back to fundamentals and just being who you are. Don't, don't go out not being who you are. Don't go out throwing the ball 50 times when you used to throw it 25 times a game, all right? Just be who you are and, and let that hopefully take you all the way. All right, Jay, now I want to get your thoughts on players' reactions. And I'm going to give you two different scenarios. And I want to give, give me your thoughts about that. Last week, we saw a very irritated Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Kansas City's not playing as well as we've expected them to play this year. Mahomes has not had the season he's had previously. His receivers just can't hold on to the football. Uh, so they're not having the season that you expected them to have. Last week, you saw him just go at his offensive line. He was just frustrated. He was angry. He was berating his offensive line. How does that play? And I, I get, and I want you to make a generalization. I get that it's individually based. You know, to some players deal with it, some players don't like it. But he was really talking to the group as a whole. So how how does it? When you go back into the locker room after a loss, how does what is that conversation like when your teammate is just berating you like that, trying to? get you to play better, trying to make you understand that we, we could do better than this. How does that, how does that weigh? How does that play? Uh, in, the, in, there, in the best case scenario, in the best case scenario, you internally look at that, right? You're a competitor, you know, unless you know you've been getting beat like a ragdoll all game, which you probably do if you are. Uh, you want to go back and you want to take what they say and you want to figure out how to they, that with the best intention especially with a quarterback to offensive line. If he's not laying on his butt and no holes are being made, then he's probably not saying anything. Okay, so you got to always refer back to that. Um, in the best-case scenarios I've seen, man, that has really ignited the team, right, forced them to, to get their part, get back to doing your job at a, at a quality level. But if that's blocking, let that be blocking. If that's throwing, let it be throwing. Because for sure, I'm sure the offensive line feels like, hey, man, there's been times when you didn't step up or you tried to make something happen and you took a 12-yard loss right? And they felt like, man, they might have aided in, 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 on behalf of you and just got back up and went back to the drawing board. So there's always some of that. There's always more than one person to blame. So I think that uh, but the best case scenario is people look internally and they figure out, you know what? This is about the best for us. Hmm. It's interesting. All right, now let's go to another situation. And this has got, this is more political, Jay, because this is mm -hmm. about what the Denver Broncos are doing to Russell Wilson. And what mm -hmm. they're doing is they've sat him down so that he won't make his contractual bonuses because they want him out, okay? And then last week, or it had to be last week, I believe it was last week, you look at, you know, what Sean Payton, how he just, you know, verbally, it looked like he verbally undressed Russell Wilson on the sideline. Now, we've had these conversations with Dable and, and Daniel Jones and whatnot here, but this this is frustration I think with the coach and with the quarterback plus with the idea of they also have an ulterior motive here because they want him to sit because they want him out they want him to avoid his contract so they can move on from him that situation in Denver how does that play in the locker room for you as a player to say man is this what this team is going to be like what, what what's that conversation like in that locker room from, you know, nobody, you know, I'll be honest, like nobody, it's a bunch of alpha males on a, on a football team. Mm -hmm. I don't care what their personality type is. Russell Wilson, obviously a little bit, probably more soft-spoken in, in, in different ways, right? But everybody's an alpha in their own regard. So if you step on their toes in a particular way, everybody responds, you know, with that, that dog mentality to an extent. And um, I think that Russell, he is getting the short end of the stick, right? Like you brought, but that's the reality of the coaching carousel. Right, he wasn't even brought in there by Sean Payton, right? So therefore, we know that they might have guaranteed him all this money, and but his play hasn't necessarily lived up to that those contracts, right? And then I played for Sean Payton. One mm -hmm. thing about Sean Payton, like he is a confrontational coach. Like if he if he sees you not playing well, his room, he's going to call you out. He's going to do those things to challenge you. And and um obviously even with comments about Nathaniel Hackett in the past, he's 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 known to kind of say things he probably shouldn't say. So, so I, I don't, and that's his, that shows to be his character. So when he does who, if he so when he shows up to be who he is, we shouldn't be that surprised, mm. right? And we should be more of like, hey man, okay, I see them what they're doing, how they're trying to set themselves up for success. You know, we all know what happens to players' contracts at the end of the year when they don't perform well, 
right? It's like on toilet tissue. You're going to take this pay cut, we're going to cut you. And now you try to tell Russell Wilson what to do. He says no, and then you, you try to strong arm, even though you already agreed to the terms. So we just seeing this play out in real time before our eyes, but I hope the best for Russell Wilson. He still deserves to be in his league, and um, he's, uh, he's still a, a potential Hall of Famer and all the things that he does. So look forward to seeing what happens. Does it, does it weigh on you, uh, Jay? Is it lost on you if the situation was reversed, how this would be covered? If it was a player who, let's say, didn't want to play or didn't want to come into the game or, you know, uh, didn't want to live up to his contract, how it would be covered a little differently? Does that weigh on players? Do players think about that situation? I think the players, it's, it's kind of like a lot of things when, when it comes to um, how big it's kind of like being an inmate in the asylum, right? So to an extent, it's like how much can you really kind of talk about when they give, when they quote unquote giving you the opportunity to display your talents and they sign the check, hmm. right? So it's essentially, you know that these things happen, but it's not something you necessarily focus on every day because the, the fight is the fight. Uh, Russell Wilson, you can't, you don't have that much leverage when you're in the opposite position, like you said, Larry, right? But now he's in this position when they've agreed to the leverage that he has. So it's almost good to see it play out the way, like, hey, man, stand your ground, make them pay you, mm. right? And then go somewhere else and then prove to them that you can still do it. That's the best kind of revenge, so quote, unquote, like prove to them that they're wrong. As a player, I know that's how it's internalized. Mm-hmm. Interesting. JR, the uh, last one, are the 49ers, what are the real 49ers? Are the real 49ers the team we've been seeing most of the year, or are they the team that we kind of saw against how Baltimore was able to undress them defensively? I think the 49ers are the real deal, man. Uh, okay. Obviously, Brock Purdy uh, just doing what he does, right? A couple more touchdowns today. They have an elite running game with, with some elite running backs. They have a defense that travels with some, with some big names there. I, I think they are who they are. I think you don't write someone off because they have a bad game or two. I mean, I, look, I'm sure that Peyton Manning and, uh, has thrown more than two interceptions in a game before. Mm-hmm. So is Tom Brady. So it's like sometimes it just happens. Hopefully he got them kinks out and they can get it for the rest of the year. Jay Bromley, listen, my friend, thanks so much for joining us during this year. Uh, your insight has been fantastic is taking us inside what the players are and what they go through and just their mindset. So we'll touch base with you during the playoffs, but wish you and your family a very happy and healthy new year. And thanks for being available to us during this, during this season so far. Thank you, Larry. Happy new year. All right. Appreciate you. That's Jay Bromley. When we come back, we'll get your thoughts on what he had to say. That's next on 98.7 ESPN. Quickly, before we go to Pat O'Keefe, let me get you caught up on some scores of the 4 o'clock games. We've got the Steelers leading the Seahawks 10-7, about five minutes before halftime. We've got the Broncos a 3-0 lead over the Chargers near the end of the first. And we've got the Bengals with a 10-7 lead over Kansas City. A little over 11 minutes to go before halftime. Of course, tonight you'll have the Packers and Vikings on Sunday Night Football. Well, we started our show on the drive, even though we normally do mostly football, but with the Nick trade yesterday, that was the big story. So we started it and we got your thoughts on it. But I wanted to get the perspective of a young man who's, you know, done. this was a good year for Pat O'Keefe here at the station, right? We know that he does a great job with pre, halftime and post for the Knicks and pre and between periods for the Rangers. Does a great job hosting. He and Ty Butler did a phenomenal job last week, and he does a good job by himself as well. But he also called some games for the Knicks. So I wanted to get his perspective about this trade, and we welcome him uh, from heading heading back from MetLife Stadium for his News 12 duties. He's a busy man, ladies and gentlemen. Pat O'Keefe, how are you, my friend? <laughs> happy holidays. Larry, happy holidays to you. That, that may have been the best introduction I've ever received here on ESPN New York. So I appreciate it. <laughs> my pleasure, my friend. Always good to chat with you. Always good. Uh, listen, give me your thoughts on this, this trade. Um, for, for the Knicks fans, obviously, as you well know, Pat, because you, you speak to them all the time, it's, it's a mixed emotion, right? You're giving away draft choices. And when they're your draft choices, there's a special attachment. There's a special emotion with them. But just give me your thoughts overall about this trade. I think that's exactly right. And there, there always is, no matter the sport in this town, there's always you know a certain affinity to the homegrown drafted player. And in this case, Larry, and, and as you know, Nick's draft picks have not always worked out this <laughs> century. 
these are two that actually worked out. You know, R.J. Barrett was picked third overall. Uh, you know, did he turn into the um, every year all-star that was hoped to be? No, I don't think that is in the cards for him. And that was part of this trade, but he was a very productive player. He was top three in scoring in each of his five seasons with the Knicks. And then Emmanuel quickly, if you can get a guy who is a runner-up for six man of the year, is 15 points a game off the bench and gives you everything he has given the Knicks and get him at number 25 in the draft, which is where they picked him in 2020, that's great value. So that's the mixed emotions. And look, when you see the names, and you know, when I saw the, the Woj bomb, as most of us learned about the trade yesterday, initially it's shocking because it's, you know, Barrett. We, I think we were somewhat prepared for Barrett. He was in the Donovan Mitchell talks. You figured if the Knicks were going to upgrade, Barrett would probably be the centerpiece of such a trade. But then when you see Barrett end quickly together and you realize that's 33 points per game that the Knicks are giving up, where are they going to replace that sort of production? But then when you dive into the trade and you realize the reasons for the trade, and it's not an offensive trade from the Knicks perspective, it's more about fit. It's more about enhancing this team's defense. And, and those are the things that OG Ananobi brings. He's a defensive minded player. He was NBA all-defensive second team last season, led the league in steals. He's also a guy that can score. He scores 15 points a game, so he's not a liability on offense. But contrasting him with the guy who he'll be replacing in the starting lineup, he's different than Barrett. He's a better defensive player, and unlike Barrett, he's not a guy who needs to have the ball in his hands to create. And I just think that was getting a little bit cumbersome because – as we know, the Knicks already have two of those guys in the starting lineup, and they're two best players, Brunson and Randall. There was a little bit of a redundancy with Barrett on top of those. Ananobi gives you something completely different, and the hope is that it could bring them to a level they haven't reached yet. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you, they really have three of the same player. They have three ball-dominant guys in your starting rotation. And, you know, there were times I felt, uh, Pat, that, you know, a couple of occasions where RJ, you know, make that pass, but it's like, I don't get a chance to score. I'm not going to make the pass. I'm going to score here because I want to contribute to the team. I want to be that guy. So I, I think you're right on the, especially from the, from the starting lineup, the reservation that I have, and I've been the guy that's been on here, Pat, as you know, I wanted OG Ananobi because I wanted that three and D guy on the wing. I wanted them to be a little bigger, you know, you saw what happened against Orlando. You saw what happened. I mean, you called games against Milwaukee. I have to tell you how much trouble that's been from a matchup defensively with, with size. So I wanted him, but the issue is going to be, and this is where I think Tom Thibodeau has got to be creative. What happens to that bench? Because quickly was the guy off the bench that really kept that scoring. Can Grimes and Deuce McBride and, you know, Hart and Vincenzo give you that, that point production that you got from quickly. Yeah, and, ter- and that's going to be the big thing. I mean, Ananobi gives you 15 points a game. You're not worried about his offensive production. He's not here for offensive production. I think he's going to give you what you need. But it is the quickly piece. What, where are you getting that production? And I think the two guys who are most important in that area are Dante DiVincenzo and Quentin Grimes. Grimes has become – and he didn't play last night. He was under the weather. Uh, under the weather. Grimes has become something of an afterthought on this team. And, and, you know, it was an oddly constructed team from the beginning of the season. If you think back to last year, Larry, terrific season, second round of the playoffs, two wins away from reaching the conference finals. And it was such a nicely constructed team, right? You had your starting five, you had your four man bench group, you had your backup center um, and Isaiah Hartenstein, you had your backup power forward in Obi Toppin and then you had Emmanuel quickly and Josh Hart bringing energy off the bench. It was nice and symmetrical and nice and neat. And the move in the offseason, you know, sending Obi Toppin to Indiana and then replacing that rotation spot with DiVincenzo, even though DiVincenzo's been really good, and I've said he's been better seeing him day in and day out than I thought. He's a terrific outside shooter. He scored 38 points last night. But that move really created such a glut at the wing position to the point where, and, and Ty Butler and I, you mentioned we were on the K show this week. We got into a, a spirited debate on Thursday about the Knicks playing rotation, because if you break it down, you know, Jalen Brunson's going to be out there in crunch time. So is Julius Randle. And so is a center. So that essentially left two spots for Hart and Barrett and DiVincenzo and quickly 
and even Quentin Grimes. So what this move does is it kind of cleans up a little bit of that glut because you take Barrett out, you take Quickly out, and you only bring um, Ananobi back into that mix. So the two areas where you're going to look to try to replace Quickly's offense off the bat are going to be DiVincenzo, who's been good, and Grimes, who they're going to need to get back to where he was last year. You know the voice. That's Pat O'Keefe. He's joining me here on The Drive on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, today, he's talking Knicks. Normally, he'll come on, talk little Rangers, do a little hosting, talk Giants and Jets. He can talk about anything, but I'm locking him into the Knicks today, although I'm going to get his thought process on the Giants because I know he was at the game today. So, uh, Pat, as you've covered this team, calling play-by-play, and done a great job at it, by the way, uh, what do you see this move doing? What do you see this move taking them and – what do you think is the next move? Because Fournier is still sitting on the bench with an expiring contract, and they still got more draft choices that they have to get rid of this season. Yeah, well, look, the hope is – I think the feeling, Larry, was that with the group they had, they had kind of reached their ceiling. And mm-hmm. we saw their ceiling last year. It was the second round. They were on pace to do essentially you know, what they did last year, which was in 47 games have a good chance to win a first-round playoff series and probably get eliminated in the second round. And, you know, three, four years ago when this franchise was in the stretch of missing the playoffs seven consecutive years, you would have taken that. But as they say, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. So you didn't want much of the same. And I think they came to the realization, especially in the wake of the Mitchell Robinson injury, and part of the reason for this is accounting for Robinson's absence. You can't make up for his absence, but he was their best defensive player. And without him, they really needed to get more defensive minded. So that's one of the things you accomplish bringing OG Ananobi back. And the other thing is it's a different type of team. I mean, you hear all the time, the term Tibbs player, you know, what is a Tibbs player? Obviously Mm. Jalen Brunson is the ultimate Tibbs player, but Josh Hart is as much a Tibbs player as anyone. And if you remember when they brought Hart in last year at the trade deadline, he was the guy coming off the bench. And from the point of his first game to the end of the season, they went 17-8 and eight with him. Ananobi is a very similar type player to Josh Harvey. He's more skilled. He's a more skilled offensive player. He's a more skilled defensive player. That's the kind of guy who Tom Thibodeau likes to rely on. Hart, if you notice, has, you know, and I, I laid out earlier how you have Brunson and Randall and a center on the floor during crunch time. More often than not, Josh Hart has one of those two wing positions. So now you can have Hart or Ananobi on the floor 48 minutes a game, which is something that I think Tom Thibodeau wants. As far as what the next move is, they still have enough in the cupboard for another move. You know, you still have the Fournier contract. They didn't unload any of their first-round draft picks. You know, you hear names, DeJounte Murray. I don't think that's a fit here. He's not necessarily a a shot-making guard, the likes of which they could use. But, you know, I still have my eye on Donovan Mitchell, a a dynamic scorer like that, um, that the Knicks, you know, even as good as Jalen Brunson has gotten, uh, the Knicks haven't had anybody like Donovan Mitchell. And I'm keeping an eye on the situation in Cleveland and seeing if before the end of this season or by the trade deadline – they think that there's a future with him, with the Cavaliers. So that's a name to keep an eye on. Again, the, the Knicks didn't unload all of their assets to make this trade happen. And then you still have some young tradable players, most notably Quentin Grimes, if they can build his trade value back up. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Tibbs works this in. And, you know, we haven't even talked about the other players. You know, we, we focus so much on OG, but Achua is, is another good piece to add some depth up front. Yeah, I think he's going to be important because they're very thin up front with the Mitchell Robinson injury. And look, Taj Gibson, you love Taj Gibson. He's a terrific guy um, to have in your rotation. I was joking at the Knicks game right before Christmas, they were playing the Bucks, those two back-to-back games. And I was sitting next to the great post columnist, Mike Vaccaro, in the second mm-hmm. quarter. And Taj is in a one-on-one matchup defensively with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I say to Vaccaro, I'm like, can you imagine Taj Gibson Two weeks ago, this guy was sitting on his couch, and now he's guarding Giannis one-on-one in the middle of Madison Square Garden. I mean, he's 38 years old. He's had a really good career. He's got great locker room presence. But as far as what you can give on the court, they do need an upgrade at that backup center position. They probably need an upgrade from what Jericho Sims was giving them. Achua, 
can fill that role, even though he's a little bit undersized as a center. He has played that position. And then the other thing is, look, the OB Toppin experiment, unfortunately, didn't work. A big reason for that, as I have said, is there just weren't enough minutes available for OB Toppin. But there have been a few times this year where the Knicks have been hurt by not having a bona fide backup power forward to Julius Randle. Randle mm-hmm. plays as many minutes as anyone in the NBA. He can't play 48 minutes a night. So who's going to play those 12, 13 minutes? It's been Josh Hart, who is as tough as they come, but he's six foot four and has found himself in a lot of matchups with power forwards this season. Now Precious Achua can pick up some of those minutes. So he's a guy who's going to add depth at two positions. It was so funny, Pat, hearing uh... – they had Josh Hart mic'd up one of the games against Milwaukee, and he goes over to uh, uh, to uh, uh, one of the centers, and he says to him, "Feel free not to post up. You know, it's okay. You can take some outside <laughs> shots. It's good. Feel feel free that you don't have to, you know, dominate the way you normally do. That size matters, my friend. Size matters, especially as you get closer and closer. You get down to the playoffs when you get more physical, and they allow more stuff to go. Uh, you need some size in your lineup. You just do." And the Knicks have been hurt by bigger teams this year. I just remember a game very early in the season that Monica and I called together in New Orleans. And the Knicks were smaller at every single position. Zion was, was playing, Jonas Valanciunas. They have a wing Dyson Daniels, Herb Jones. Every single position, the Knicks were smaller. Obviously, they've had a lot of trouble with the Milwaukee Bucks. The Boston Celtics are a team that's big. Mm. These are the teams that have given the Knicks trouble this season, but they did get a little bigger out of this trade. Ananobi is an upgrade, six, seven, seven foot, two inch wingspan. And now you do have, again, a backup power forward slash center who has played important minutes in both of those positions coming off the bench in Precious Achua. Well, I'll say this, Pat, it should work. (laughs) Okay. On paper, it should work. (laughs) Only time will tell. Well, it does, but it should work. Uh, Real quick. Give me your thoughts on the Giants today. The late game execution. I mean, the um, and I was actually there as a fan. Brought my son James to the game, so we stuck it out. It was his first bona fide down to the wire fourth quarter NFL game. So nice. fun to experience that with him because it was a great game. Uh, they played hard. They've played hard for this coach down the stretch. Um, Tyrod Taylor's good, and, and, and I've been saying for weeks I didn't understand why when he was ready to come back they didn't give him the job back. Uh, until just this week, but he played well again. But unfortunately with Taylor, we saw it in the Buffalo game where he played well on Sunday night earlier this season when they almost beat the Bills in the, you know, he makes that big mistake. You know, Mm -hmm. he had the chance at the two-point conversion today that was actually right in front of where we were sitting, and he missed Saquon Barkley, and he was furious with himself. And then he comes up with that big run down to the 34-yard line, and you think at that point the Giants are going to win this game, and the next call – the draw play yeah. after the after you know they clocked it. That's the one that killed them right there because then they were in scramble mode, and Taylor follows that up with a poor throw. I think it was to Jalen Hyatt, and now all of a sudden, where it looked like you were in position to win the game, you needed like five extra yards, and now you're hoping that Mason Crosby has enough leg, and and he didn't. So a tough loss for the Giants because their defense was really good. Stafford was, was bad in this game. I mean, yeah. the Giants defense played well, but Stafford missed a lot of easy throws in this game, but the Giants continue to play hard. And I heard you say it in the last segment, you know, the sector of Giants fans who want this team to pick as close to the top of the draft as possible. They're probably not crying right now with the result. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what you want. It's your team's competitive. You're not rooting for them to lose, but they lost. Yeah, it happens. You're like, well, it's happened like like, last week. Yes, happened like 10 times before, so it happens again. We're good. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, have a great new year, you and your family. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk soon, my friend. Same to you, Larry. Always good talking to you. Thanks a lot. All right, that's good. Pat Pat O'Keefe, we'll step away and wrap up this edition of The Drive with a couple of phone calls next on 98.7 ESPN.